Hello and welcome to Where the Rubber Meets the Road podcast with Safe Drive for Kids. You know, driving is the most dangerous activity that we do every day. But, you know, we realize that your family has places to be and things to do. And at Safe Drive for Kids, we want to help you arrive safely by equipping you with innovative products and unbiased information from our team of certified safety experts. I'm Greg DeRocher, and today I'm the co-founder and CEO of Safe Ride for Kids. But my first career was as a firefighter paramedic, where unfortunately I did uh, get to see firsthand the devastation car crashes can have in people's lives. And that's also where I got started in injury prevention education. Uh, In 2000, I got started as a certified child passenger safety technician because a child's safety in the car is largely dependent on their parents or their caregiver's choices. I've been an instructor of the car seat curriculum, certifying technicians since 2001. I am Amy DeRocher, co-founder and creative director at Safe Ride for Kids. I am, I, I became a certified car seat technician back in 2004. Greg was one of my instructors. I write most of the content for our website, and we are the parents (laughs) of three children. Today, we're going to be talking about selection. Picking the right car seat is a question all car seat technicians get. Which car seat should I buy? Which one's the right one? And I thought you were going to talk about selecting the right partner. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. No. Um, the, The canned answer is the right car seat is the one that fits your child, fits your car, and that you can install correctly every time. You know, and that's important um, because not all car seats will fit correctly in all cars. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about this more in a minute, but, you know, if, if, the, if there's an incompatibility between the vehicle and the car seat, the child, children's car seat, that's a problem. Or if there's something about the car seat that is going to prevent your child from using it or, you know, allowing it to be used correctly with your child, put it that way. Um, That's also a problem. That's going to reduce the effectiveness of the car seat in a crash. So you want to make sure that it, every, all pieces of the puzzle are working correctly. And if it's really hard to use, human behavior is such that we would likely uh, find some compromise between 100% correct use and not using it at all. So let's say, for example, one thing I can think of off the top of my head is years ago, car seats were really, some car seats were really difficult to adjust the harness tension. So I can totally see how a parent would get the harness where, well, it may not be as tight as it should be, but it's not completely loose (laughs) or it, you know, um, so it's some compromise between doing it correctly every time and not using it at all. So that's why it's important that it's uh, has the features that you use it correctly every single time. So um, one of the things that we want to point you to is an earlier podcast of ours. It was actually episode one, 
And what did we talk about in that one? We talked about the stages of car seats. Um, so what stage a child would be in for the different stages of car seats. And, and we can talk, kind of talk about what car seats would be selected for each stage. So for the, well, for the first stage, which we consider prenatal, <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, you'd be using a tummy shield because it's the only crash-tested, highly engineered, actual safety um, seatbelt positioning device for pregnant women. And we consider that the, well, we call it the plus stage because NHTSA has four stages of car seats, so it's kind of stage zero or the plus stage is prenatal. But anyway, we're not really talking about that today. We're talking about car seat selection. So the first stage of car seats is um, well, actually, we do consider the tummy shield baby's first car seat. But anyway, um, <laughs> stage one is rear-facing. So for rear-facing children, and that's um, from birth until they outgrow their um, car seat rear-facing, um, but at least until two, but ideally until three or four years old or longer if they fit. Um, so the different types of car seat, um, rear-facing car seats are... So you can have a rear-facing only car seat, which is often seen as the infant carrier type of car seat where there's a detachable base that remains in the car and the carrier, uh, you know, the baby stays in the carrier and you take the baby with you in the car seat. These are really convenient for little babies. Um, They start to get really heavy because now they go up to 30 pounds. I can't imagine carrying a 30 pound. I think there's even one 35 pounds. I can't imagine carrying a baby that big in it. That would be. That would really throw out your back. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you have twins, then it'd be very balanced. Um, But no, in all seriousness, um, that is uh, something to consider is the ease of use. You know, are you likely to, you know, be lugging the baby around in that uh, infant carrier? Another thing just to make note of is almost all infant carriers can actually be used without the base. There is a seatbelt path built into the restraint that you can use in the absence of the the base that remains in the car. So keep that in mind, especially if you're going on vacation and you might not want to lug the big base with you. You might be able to take just the carrier piece, Uh, but I would suggest um, getting into the owner's manual for the restraints or ideally uh, connecting with a certified child passenger safety technician in your area that you can meet with and they can help you make sure that you're going to be using that infant carrier without the base appropriately. There might be some other things that you need to think about and accommodate. You know, I know that the one that we had when our kids were little, we would travel with the infant carrier and a rolled up beach towel that we could use to tighten and keep the seat in a proper position in whatever car we were installing it in. Right. We go into uh, more detail about that in episode six, traveling tips with car seats. Yeah. But just know that many, many, many of the infant carriers on the market can be used without the base. So keep that in mind. The other type of rear facing car seat is what's called a convertible seat. So a convertible seat is 
one that converts from a rear-facing installation to a forward-facing installation. Um, sometimes... Um, You're probably going to go from an infant seat to a convertible seat because most... Um, well, our kids grew out their infancy. It only went up to 20 pounds anyway, but they outgrew it by height. And they are about nine months old. And since you should keep them legally in Colorado, we had to keep them rear-facing at least until one. Um, in many states, it's now at least until two. But best practice is to keep them rear-facing for as long as possible. So after they outgrew the infant seat, you know, moved into a convertible seat. So they were rear-facing in their convertible seat for much, much longer. And um, there are... So one of the reasons that a lot of people don't start in a, in a convertible seat is, A, they want the convenience of having that infant carrier, uh, which is totally understandable. It goes uh, in the stroller. It goes in the, yeah. into the stro- store. In, into the restaurant, into the store. Um, that's a whole other set of safety conversations to have. But uh, do keep in mind that um, infant carriers, well, all car seats, are not meant to be babysitters. Um, the children should not be left in the car seat inside the house or inside, you know, for extended periods of time. Uh, if the child is, uh, it's better for them to sleep in their crib and in, in a safe place, not in the carrier. The, the car seat is not the babysitter or the crib. So just keep that in mind. But that the whole point of the infant carriers is convenience. Um, but sometimes the weight rating of the conventional uh, convertible car seat doesn't go low enough to for the child to be within the specs for the convertible seat when they are newborn. So it may require, you know, depending on how big or little your child is, may require that you're being an infant carrier so that they're within the manufacturer's specs on the low end. Uh, but some kids are, you know, we had big children and um, all of our kids could have started out in the convertible seats that we had at the time. We opted to not, but that was a choice that we had. But from an economy perspective, um, there is nothing wrong with starting with a conven- convertible seat in that rear-facing position from the day that they're born, as long as the child is within the safety specs. Uh, the manufacturer's specifications for that seat. Um, you may be sacrificing some of the convenience, but that's a personal choice. Uh, you know, we've talked in other episodes, we talked about winter coats and keeping kids warm in the car. You know, all of those things need to be considered when you're, when you're considering what type of car seat you're going to be using. You know, that's another advantage of, an infant carrier is you can get the kid ready and, and, and put in and harnessed correctly inside the house where it's warm, and then you cover them with blankets and stuff as you go out to the car. So that convertible seat will also, as the child reaches the upper rear-facing height and weight limit, will convert into a forward-facing harness. Um, without getting into all the details here, uh, just Keep in mind that you need to get into the owner's manual for your car seat to make sure that you're uh, 
properly installing it in your car because most car seats it does change where the whether you're using the lower anchor strap or the seat belt the positioning of that on the car seat itself will change rear facing versus forward facing there's also other changes that you might need to do to adjust the recline of the car seat when you're switching from rear facing to forward facing so those are the big things that you need to make sure that you get into the owner's manual for your child restraint and uh, make sure that you're doing those things correctly. And then as always, again, you can go to uh, find a certified technician in your area. Uh, we make it easy for you by putting a link on our website. The short code for that is SR4K, which stands for Safe Ride for kids. So it's sr4k.com forward slash CPS tech. That's child passenger safety technician. So CPS tech, T-E-C-H. And that'll take you to a page and there's a button on that page that says find a car seat technician. You click on that button and it'll actually take you to an outside website uh, that's operated by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Oh, we're back to safe kids. Oh, it's back to safe kids now? It says website was not working very oh, well. Oh, okay. So anyway, it's a third-party provider, and you just enter your city and state, um, and you can find certified technicians in your area. There is an option on that form to put in your zip code, but I actually recommend not using the zip code because that restricts the search too far. And if that Technician is not listed in your zip code. It's not going to show up. But if you just leave that blank and do city and state, you'll get a much broader list of certified techs. If you have a small town, um, maybe just do state and find or a city nearby that might have technicians if it doesn't come up with something in your town. That's true. Yep. Um, because the technician is somebody who's certified. They've gone through a multiple-day course, and they understand all the different kinds of car seats um, and how to find and how to instruct and help you use it correctly in the combination between your car seat and your car. Um, the other thing there's, so we have infant carriers and we have convertible seats and then there are also um, what they call all-in-one seats, which start out in a rear-facing position, go forward-facing with a harness, and then the harness can be taken out and it can be used as a booster seat. So it would enter into that last stage as a seatbelt positioning seat. <clears throat> so those are kind of really the three options that you're going to find in the store for rear facing. The next stage that we're going to talk about is that forward facing with a harness stage. So that's the stage that you would either be using a convertible seat that you converted from rear facing to forward facing. There's another one out there that are called forward-facing only seats. So these are seats that have a five-point harness, and that may be their only function. They may only be certified to be used for children in a forward-facing position using the five-point harness of the car seat. Most of them can be converted to a booster seat, but not all. And those are called combination seats because it's a combination of two different types of forward-facing seat. 
because a booster seat is obviously a forward-facing seat. So if it's a combination of five-point with five-point harness and booster seat, it's combining two different types of forward-facing car seats. So for forward-facing, we have convertible seat, all-in-one seat, combination seat, or forward-facing only seat. And you can also start using the Ride Safer Travel Vest if your child is three years old or older. Yep, three years old, 30 pounds and older. And what's great about the Ride Safer is, A, it's great for traveling because it folds up and is about the size of a sweatshirt. So you can, you know, if you're traveling in the city where you're traveling by taxi or ride share, you can stuff it in your day bag. If you're going on vacation and you're flying to your destination, you can stuff it in your carry-on and make sure that you've got your car seat with you. Our kids carry their own car seats <laughs> on trips. That is true. We strapped their car seat onto their backpack, and they got to go through the airport carrying their own car seat, which if you're a parent and you've ever traveled through the airport with your big, bulky, conventional car seats, you'll appreciate having your own child, having your child carry their own car seat. Because <laughs> the right safer only weighs about a pound. Yep. So. Um, but the other thing about the Ride Safer is not only does it function as a seatbelt positioning device, it actually has an internal harness built into it. And it is, when you purchase it, it comes with a tether strap. And the tether strap attaches to the two shoulders of the vest and goes over the vehicle seat and you know clips into the vehicle's tether anchor point. So essentially what you have is you have the vehicle's seatbelt system as a you know functioning as a seatbelt positioning device and a harness um, the harness is not required when you're using a, a lap and shoulder seatbelt but the manufacturer does allow it so a lot of parents choose to use that especially for the younger kids that you know you're still in that transition stage between the five-point harness and the freedom of just the seatbelt um, the ride safer is a great in between step because it offers that extra layer of restraint from the harness and the tether. Um, so those are kind of the, your options for the forward facing um, harness seat belts. So that's stage two. Stage three is going to be seatbelt positioning stage. Now, a lot of people call this stage the booster seat stage, but it's actually the belt positioning stage. Um, because there are other options than just booster seats. So again, you can bring in the all-in-one seat and take the harness out, and that becomes a, a booster seat. And the combination seat, you take the harness out, and that becomes a booster seat. And then, of course, your traditional booster seat. And in the booster seat category, there's really two, two types of booster seat. There's the high-back booster seat and the no-back booster seat. So function of a booster seat is to lift the child up so that the adult seatbelt fits them more appropriately. The backless booster is going to have some sort of a, a clip on a strap. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but it is intended to clip onto the shoulder part of the seatbelt and hold the shoulder belt more appropriately on the child's shoulder. And then, obviously, the, the booster seat, the lower booster seat part, is there to lift the child up so that the lap portion of the seatbelt fits correctly. A high back booster seat, um, which, again, your all-in-ones, 
may actually be both. It may have the ability to have the high back and it may have the ability for that high back to be removed and just be a backless booster. But the high back is typically going to have a shoulder belt positioning slot um, that there's a, a piece on the, sh- on the uh, high back that's going to hold that shoulder belt in the right spot on the child's shoulder. And oftentimes it's adjustable. And that's going to just ideally put that seatbelt in the best position and keep it there even if the child is wiggling around a little bit. Um, that's also one of the things that we love about the Ride Safer is it does a good job of keeping the seatbelt properly positioned on the child even if the child is moving around a little bit in the back of the car. Um, the other thing that a high back booster can offer, and a lot of them, this is kind of a marketing um, positioning as, as increased safety, is they will market it with side impact protection or SIP. And what they're, what they're doing there is um, they're, they're saying that their car seat, their high back booster has been, posi- has been tested to provide uh, more protection, more head protection in the event of a true side impact. And I say true side impact. Because one of the laws of physics that comes into play when we're involved in a car crash is all occupants will travel towards the point of impact in a crash. Now, if you think about it, um, think of like the bowl of water on the table. If you take your hand and slap the bowl, the effect is that the water is moving towards your hand. That's kind of what happens, well, that's exactly what happens in a car, is when we're involved in a car crash, our bodies are going to move towards whatever direction, whatever angle the other vehicle struck us at. Um, So if there is really any forward movement or forward directionality to the point of impact, the child's head is going to come out of that protection of the side, the side impact wings towards that point of impact. It's not a bad thing. It's just a reality. So we're only really going to experience the benefit of that side impact protection in a true side impact where uh, the point of impact is uh, going to move the child's head toward and that side impact wing is going to be there to protect the child. That's a good thing in that type of crash. Um, I do often tell parents that, you know, as somebody who spent almost 20 years driving emergency vehicles, um, I can vouch that side impacts are one of the most avoidable types of impacts because we as the driver have to put ourselves into the intersection in order to have that other vehicle, you know, strike us in the true T-bone type car crash. Cars don't just materialize out of the middle of the block and run into us. We have to be in an intersection, um, you know, in a place on a road where that vehicle can be coming at us full speed and hit us in the side. So good defensive driving practices can really help you avoid 
those crashes. Um, I can tell you for sure, just in my own life, in my own, not only driving emergency vehicles, but in my own personal car, I've avoided at least two to four true uh, T-bone car crashes just by being an aware driver and looking and ensuring that oncoming traffic is stopping before I put my vehicle out into the intersection. Uh, there was a period of time where I was driving as a rideshare uh, driver and it was snowy and that was actually when I preferred going out because I had a nice four-wheel drive vehicle. And, uh, you know, here we are in the, the snow-covered streets and I've got a passenger in the back and uh, was able to avoid a very serious crash just because the light turned green. I looked to the left. The car was still coming. I didn't go. Car behind me starts honking and the car, you know, the cross traffic just goes zooming by full speed. Didn't even slow down for the red light. And that could have been a, a fatally a serious crash for us. So, you know, things like that, just pay attention. But back to car seats. <laughs> back to car seats. So we've gone through the belt positioning stage and the next stage, stage number four is seat belt only. And there is no car seat during this stage. You just want to make sure that your child properly fits the seatbelt. And that means that the child can pass the five-step test. Now, this typically happens when a child is four foot nine. That's kind of the, the number, the general number given, but it always depends on the car and the, the seating position in the car. Um, and just know that a child doesn't usually hit that height until they're nine or 12 years old. Our children are typically pretty tall and our older two children five stepped out of the car seat when they're about nine and a half. Um, so the laws that say they can be in just the seatbelt when they're age eight it might not be true. Um, so the five-step test just to quickly run through it and there's videos on our website you're welcome to go watch. Um, if the child is sitting with their lower back and their butt against the back of the seat and their feet are on the floor, uh, their knees are naturally bent at the edge of the seat the lap belt is on the child's thighs and the shoulder belt crosses mid-shoulder, mid-chest, and they can sit like this for the whole ride. Awesome. So that should give you, you know, the, the how to pick the right car seat for your child and which stage of development they're in. Um, but, you know. But we still get, but which one should I buy? <laughs> <laughs> Amy has a has a suggestion for you. Oh, no, we're going to talk real quick about basic car seats. So every car seat has to pass the same safety standards, same set of standards. So a $40 car seat is going to pass the same safety standards as a $500 car seat. Now, the extra things are potentially more side impact protection, potentially more bells and whistles. I heard of one car seat that actually had speakers in it, and that was why it was so expensive. Um, There's ones that are... Um licensed uh, superhero characters like booster seats that look like the incredible hulk or other superheroes there's a lot of creativity that goes into uh, marketing car seats <laughs> right so there's a whole price range and know that um, the 40 dollars one passes the same safety t standards as the 500 dollars one um, there might be more bells and whistles and if you can afford that and it sounds like it's been crash tested for those bells and whistles, then great, go for it. 
Um, but if you can't afford it, then the but $40 child, one will work for you too. The child is, the, the car seat is going to meet the safety standards, even if it's, uh, even if it doesn't cost as much. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about is a car seat is better than no car seat. And we really, you know, uh, in the past we've talked about that one of the primary objectives of all restraint systems, whether that's a restraint system for a child or an adult, seatbelt, the number one objective is to keep the occupants inside the car. Uh, when we accomplish that, when we prevent a child or an occupant from being ejected, their, their, their odds of survivability are like four times higher that they're going to survive the crash. When people are unrestrained and they get ejected from the car, they're approximately four times more likely to be killed. So even if your child is in the, the least expensive car seat on the market, and you're using it correctly, you're multiplying their survivability multiple times. So keep that in mind. But you know, and to just to touch on it real quickly, the other two primary objectives of all restraint systems are to contact the strongest points of the body as the second, and then thirdly, to spread the crash forces out. So if you're using and properly installing the car seat in the car, you've met the first three primary goals of all restraint systems, which is keep the people in the, keep the occupant in the car, contact the strongest points of the body and distribute the crash forces. So any car seat that's certified will do that. And that's the problem with uncertified restraint systems is we don't know how effectively they're going to accomplish those three goals. You know, when we have, uh, there are products being sold on online platforms without disparaging anybody <laughs> think about the biggest online sales platform around um, and these products are coming from countries outside of the US and they do not meet the federal safety standards and um, the reason is that they're just the design does not accomplish those three goals well there's also knockoff car seats that look exactly like car seats by reputable companies, reputable manufacturers um, that are being sold as lookalikes for a lot cheaper. Um, and it's tricking a lot of people. So just beware, look into the company, make sure that it's properly branded, properly registered. It has all the certification stickers on it. And that's one of the one of the telltales is the certification stickers and you know when in doubt you can always contact the manufacturer for that brand and make sure that the model number the manufacturer date you know, check out. But we have a little bit more information on that in our website on a blog called uh, "How's the Ride Safer Legal When These Aren't" or something like that. <laughs> um, but it, and it also goes into other knockoff items, so uh, you can read more on that. So hopefully with this, you've got a good idea of which seat, which type of seat, not necessarily which seat, but which type of seat uh, you need to select for your child at the stage of development that they're in. And the other thing you want to be thinking about is 
what's coming next. Not only where is my child now, but what's going to be the next stage for them. Right. Now we're ready for our safety tip of the week. Are you ready? <laughs> That's a good one. Make sure you, you pick the car seat based on the fabric. Just kidding. Um, actually, a lot of parents do that, and that's maybe okay if that's what they want to do, because as we said, they're all tested to the same standards. Um, but the tip is actually to make sure it fits in your car. Now, we're in the middle of COVID, in the middle, hopefully, we're near the end. It's like eight <laughs> months now. Um, we're, in, we're recording this in December of 2020, so if you've lived through this, you know what we're talking about. Right. So pre-COVID, stores used to let you take car seats out of the store and test them in your car and make sure they would fit. Um, so if they're still allowing you to do that, that's a great practice. Um, take it out of the store, try it in your car. If they're not allowing you to take it out of the store and um, make sure it fits in your car, just be kind to the manufacturer and take it out gently from the packaging in case you have to return it. <laughs> and uh, that leads us to our parenting tip. So the parenting tip is teach your children to participate in their own rescue. Amy actually is a children's book author and she has an entire children's book dedicated to this topic um, called me to the rescue. But as a parent, what we've, you know, as parents, what we've stripped, <laughs> have what strived, we have strived to do <laughs> what we strive to do with our children because it's still ongoing um, is to not be the solution to all their problems. In other words, we don't, we try to help them. We strive to help them. We give them opportunities to solve their own problems. Because as parents, you know, we decided early on that what we really are trying to do is give good habits and good belief systems that will serve our children for life. Yeah, we're preparing them for life, not just for when they're living with us. Right. And, you know, imagine a world, imagine living in a world where everybody took 100% responsibility for solving their own problems doesn't mean that they don't reach out for help, but they don't turn to other people to take responsibility for things that they can solve themselves. And, you know, if, if we as parents um, can instill that system, that belief system, I think uh, the world will be a better place down the road with a whole generation or multiple generations of people who are capable and belief driven that they can solve their own problems and that they can find a way to solve a problem. And sometimes it means that you have to let them struggle in it a little bit. But uh, we believe that also helps build character. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, when you see the joy and the confidence in your child's face and eyes when they overcome a challenge, it actually, in my, to me, it, it just validates that we're doing the right thing. Um, that 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 confidence and belief in themselves will serve them so much better and so much longer than just having the problem solved. So with that, we hope you have a great week, a great couple of weeks. Uh, we look forward to having you join us on our next 
for the Rubber Meets the Road podcast. Take, take care and have a great week. Stay safe.